Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Holtcast. Um, after me and Danny discussed uh, what went down in the Stoke match, I'm joined by John McKenzie. John, how are you doing? I'm really good. It's really good to chat. It's really good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, so the reason John's here today is so we can get the, I guess, expert opinion on Leeds United, the expert analysis, and of course, some views on the man himself, Marcelo Bielsa. So John, Leeds United... They have been something this season, and it's not the bad something that we're usually <laughs> talking about. They're, they're really good. Yeah, um, you're, you're sort of asking that question at the wrong time, I suppose, because uh, at the moment it feels as though we've gone through a bit of a patch where we are scraping results, which I guess the old cliche says is the sign of a, of a, a championship winning side. But um, at the moment, we are we are threadbare in terms of we've had a, a number of injuries, particularly in our defensive areas. We've had a couple of... Um, doing a Leeds moments in in recent weeks. So we've had uh, ownership um, tra- travails that have been all over the news. We've just lost Samu Saez to Katafe in, in La Liga. So um, he's he won't be playing for us anymore. Um, and he was a good player for us. So we, we still have the, we, the the tendency to to do the uh, remarkable whenever, even when things seem as though they're going well. But yeah, it's been, it's been a good season. The beginning of the season was absolutely fantastic. I went to... I remember I went to a few preseason games, and in the first few preseason games, we we were very experimental. We we're playing a lot of youth players. A lot of the players hadn't quite come back from the summer. And then I went to Las Palmas. We played Las Palmas at Elland Road, um, sort of the final um, preseason game before the season kicked in. And I was sat there in the stands, and it was it was just remarkable watching what Bielsa had done with with the team. It was for the first time in a long time. It was quite clear that there was a that there was, and I hate the phrase, but a philosophy, but I'll use it as, as a, as a sort of neologism that people use in football, uh, no problem. So there was a clear, um, tactical, um, goal. The, the players were playing football like they were, and this is, the, this is the, the cliche joke, but like Barcelona and it was, it was like that. It was, um, building up play from the back and really swift verticality, getting the ball forward quickly and, and having these sort of counter, counter attacking, uh, blitzes, which have been, which have been brilliant. So I'm, I'm in dreamland at the moment, uh, but at the moment, at, at present in the immediate, um, present, there, there are a few worries on, on the back, in the back of the minds of a few Leeds fans. So do you think it's decreased our performance levels or anxiety over not finishing that top two? Do you think Leeds' performances have kind of steadily dropped off? And is that due to external circumstances like injuries and, as you said, losing size mm. to Getafe? Um, do you think it's, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, um, not Bielsa's fault? Um, everything's going right for him. It just seems that you you've had a bit of bad luck, maybe? Yeah, I think it's... So much of what his game plan is based around is based around having good ball players at the back. So it's it's a funny thing because at the moment we've got we've got players in the team who you in the defence at the moment who you might think are brilliant ball playing defenders, um, brilliant defenders. Sorry, uh, for example, we got Pontus Janssen back who we were missing at the beginning of the season because he'd obviously been uh, playing for Sweden at the World Cup. Um, and he came back into a, a side that had Liam Cooper and Gaetano Berardi, who, um, I mean, Gaetano Berardi, for those who don't know him, is is a fullback and not a particularly good fullback at that. And we were playing him at centre-back, um, which just to, to Leeds fans seemed seemed nonsensical. Uh, Liam Cooper is our captain, but he is uh, famously um, <laughs> questioned by many of the Leeds fans a lot of the time. But these two 
in Bielsa's system have been an absolute revelation because they can both get the ball down, they can both pass it around, they've got good uh, touch on the ball, and they can play the ball around in the in the in these sort of fours and threes that that Bielsa likes his team to get into in the back in, in the fullback areas, and they can uh, maintain control and then play the ball forward quickly when they need to. Um, which means that when someone like Pontus Janssen comes back in, you, you're, you're faced with this really sen- bizarre scenario where you're kind of thinking, last season you would have said Janssen was our best defender, uh, and now you're kind of worried that he's not good enough to play in this system. So it's been a real uh, eye-opener for me to sort of um, appreciate the importance of how systems work uh, in football. Um, and I, I, I thought I kind of knew football tactically fairly well, but um, it, it's been a real eye-opener in that regard. So I think it, in, to answer your question, sorry, that's a long uh, roundabout way of, of getting to the answer, but uh, it, 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 it isn't that we've dropped off so much as we've, we've, um, we've had a small squad anyway, and we've got players playing out of position, and we've got players playing in positions where you would rather not have them. And a lot of the players who've been brought in, um, have you, you might argue, ha- haven't been able to actually play that that style of play the Bielsa style of play which is having good ball players at the back who can maintain control and then uh, move the ball into into more advanced areas quite quickly um so it, it's been a combination of those factors yeah a lot of villa fans they look at leeds and they're quite jealous um <laughs> top two place especially when you hide bielsa in the summer so let's go into that actually when you got bielsa into the club I think when the rumours were hanging around, a lot of people were in disbelief. Um, the championship, it's got a lot more prestige, you know, in the last two years than it probably has ever in its its history. But uh, attracting a man like Bielsa, is that somewhat of a coup, do you think? I mean, Leeds are a massive club, they're an establishment, but it still felt a bit odd. But it seems so right now. Yeah, no, you're, you're entirely right. And I think a lot of people who... Look, but Bielsa is a sort of cult figure. He... Is probably unfairly labelled as like the hipsters football manager or something like that, whatever that means. And that's that's not a debate I'm particularly interested in getting into now. But <laughs> I think what the problem with Bielsa is that, since it's not so much a problem, but the, the thing about Bielsa is that because he is quite media reticent, um, there's not a huge amount of content to go off by um, that he's uh, in terms of what what do we know about him? Like how do you how do you talk about someone like Bielsa? And so. What, has, what happens as a result of that, I think, is that narratives quite quickly spring up on, on and they latch onto any sort of um, nodule of truth that you can find in any of the ways that his team's playing. So one of the one of the things that I think a lot of people will talk about when they talk about Bielsa is this concept of burnout. Um, and so, with that in mind, with the with that with the fact that he's not managed in England before, he's not managed in the Championship, uh, he's managed at clubs in France, Spain technically Italy but then the majority of the well the others all all over in South America that is very very unclear as to what was going to happen like how it was going to play out the the Bielsa um, experiment at Leeds and fortunately it's worked out very well indeed and the the analogy that I like to use is uh, the Goldilocks effect which is a, a marketing I guess analogy where it's to do with pricing. So if you price something too high, people won't buy it. But if you price things too low, then people won't buy it because they think it's a bit shoddy. Um, so the Goldilocks effect says that, you know, you have to find that sort of just right um, uh, in the middle where, where people will, will think that they're getting quality and value at the same time. And I think for me, that's what Leeds has, has been for Bielsa is that Goldilocks club for him. Um, there, There's it's a big enough club. It's got the uh, enough good players there that they can play the sort of football that you expect 
or he wants them to play. But at the same time, they're not so big that the players aren't willing to to get behind his style of play, which is it is rigorous and it, it does expect a lot from you both physically and emotionally. I think it's just sort of played out perfectly for 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 him there, and and so it's been it's been quite exciting for me to because I have a lot of friends who are um, very uh, very um, adept at. At the, in the world of tactics and they are they know their stuff and they are all expecting this to be a disaster so the fact that it hasn't been a disaster has has been uh, interesting and I think like I said a lot of that comes down to the fact that maybe Leeds is just the right club for him just just about the sort of level of uh of importance and and uh, and tradition but but also high enough up the leads that uh, the, the leagues that they um have good enough players to be able to play his system so what is Marcelo Bielsa doing right, say, that Chris Jensen and Paul Heckingbottom especially didn't do? Because I think we all looked for him. I mean, we had this conversation last season when Chris Jensen was doing fairly well, all right. Mm. And then we, I don't know if we talked about Paul Heckingbottom, but I think there was a lot of, I wouldn't say excitement, but maybe he was the right appointment, a young British manager with a pedigree, especially, you know, known in Yorkshire, mm-hmm. leaving Barnsley how he did. I thought he'd have done a, a fair bit better, but it doesn't seem to didn't seem to have worked out for them at all. But for Bielsa, who kind of there was um, a, a wariness about, especially in tactical circles, as you said, and even in media circles with the I, I mean fabricated reputation that he came into the game with, well to Leeds with, what has he done so right then that others won't get in? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and. You know, I think the, the reason why people like Paul Heckingbottom, this is just an aside, I think, is because his name, his surname is basically a place that most Leeds fans could p- potentially live in. You know, it sort of <laughs> sounds like a Yorkshire village, right? Um, so I think a lot of that came down to came down to the the fact that he sort of sounded like he could be a good Leeds manager. But with Bielsa, I mean, what Bielsa has done is he's been he's a thorough he's a thorough manager and. He's not simply. I think you mentioned in the in the intro this, uh, or maybe before we came on air, that you know this this sort of reputation that that Bielsa has um, of of being loco, um, which is an interesting it's an interesting topic of conversation as it is because he hates the the nickname El Loco, um, which basically means I guess the the madman. He I've been in press conferences and I've 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 listened to all of his press conferences at Leeds and he will never use the phrase El Loco. He will say, "Well, you guys have this." nickname that you use of me and so I suppose this answer maybe sounds a little bit like why you might think that of me um he, he came out with the phrase the phrase he came out with it's hard to play bad football or something like that and he was like you know actually that sounds batshit um but then you have this nickname for me and so I think he, he the reason why he re, re, rejects that that nickname is because what he perceive what other people can see, perceive of as being insane or obsessive I think he just he sees as being responsible. He is a football manager. He has to, do the, to the best of his ability, do his job. And to do that, you have to be entirely thorough. So he turns up to the club and he he's watched every game uh, from last season. He knows exactly where players have played. He's watched um, training games of under 23s, etc. He's he's watched hours and hours of footage. He's thought about the way that the, the club can improve, the way that they can, the 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 the, the way that individual players can improve. Um, and he comes with this background. He comes with a with a um, a clear target goal of what he wants the team to play like. And he implements that uh, and and changes the the various training regimes and the backroom staff and uh, the medical staff such a way as he as he can achieve that. Now, some people perceive that as, as sort of madness. For him, that's just being a responsible manager. And I think what he has done well is precisely implemented that system. 
Um, he's got the players playing in a, in a particular way, uh, and it's a, it's a system that that works. And for the most part, um, and <laughs> I suppose it's the matches against West Brom where we get pasted by them, where it becomes frustrating for the Leeds fans to to watch that because. In many respects, there is there is no plan B, really. You, we have the system. The system is what is going to get us promoted or not. And um, there are tweaks within that system. Um, and the, the question is whether or not that system will hold out for the whole season. Um, so, I, yeah, what, what he's done well is um, implemented this system. Whether or not it will serve us well for the whole season remains to be seen. So I think that that's kind of the, the point that a lot of us are at. We sort of think, yes, it's been great. Um, but you know, it, this happens with, with many teams where they, I mean, you think of Antonio Conte's Chelsea, where, um, the season where they won the premier league, they came out, changed their system, had this system, which they used all the way through. Then they got halfway through the season and all the teams had played that system. And there was already, um, counter systems that were, were designed to, to react to that. So I think, yeah, the very thing that he's been good at, the thing that he's done well, uh, is also the thing that could maybe harm us in the long run, but it remains to be seen. I think if you trust in a manager to change and adapt, maybe tweak their system to get the best out of the team, I believe we'd all trust in Bielsa yeah. to do that if we were speaking as neutrals. But then again, um, would a manager with that, you know, the length of history he has in the game, would he be willing to do that or will he go down with a ship, so to speak, with his ideas? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment is is how like what sort of legacy will, will Bielsa have and what role will his time at Leeds have on that legacy because you know there's that famous interview I think it was after the Sheffield Wednesday game um where he was <laughs> some Sky sports um reporter gets the post-match interview because it's been on TV and says oh you know you're obviously really you're really good at winning titles and stuff and he's his response is well thanks for your generosity but I think most people know that I'm not good at winning titles and it's not particularly hard for people to find out like my my my, my managerial record so um and yeah, I think the, the the question that I have is is how much of how much of his his um, identity as a, as a manager is tied up with this the fact that he's been at various clubs where they've done quite well but not quite well enough. He's won a couple of titles at Newell's Old Boys in South America right at the beginning of his career, um, and then he what he he won an Olympic gold medal with the Argentina team, and beyond that. It's, he he had a good season with Athletic Club in Bilbao, and they they basically got to the final of the Europa League. They beat Man United that season, then they got to the final of the Copa del Rey. They lost both of them three 0 They had uh, the chance to sort of maybe finish in the top four in the in La Liga, and they they dropped off. And so, yeah, one of the one of the things that it's very like we've already talked about the fact that you know how narrative functions within within football and one of the narratives that then that has sort of accrued to Bielsa is this sort of idea that he's very influential on big managers he's a sort of genea- genealogical source for managers like Pep Guardiola and Mauricio Pochettino or Tata Martino um, or Brits, so managers like that who are well respected, but he's never really been able to enact that that sort of success within his own life. Now, why is that? Is that is that because he has this this system that he he relies upon uh, and can't tweak it, um, and is happy to go down with the ship? Or is there all these other um, contextual um, facets playing in the background, which I think is actually the case if you actually look at the, the teams that he's had. I mean, the, the fact that he lost in a Copa del Rey final to Barcelona, lost a Europa League final to Atletico Madrid. Those aren't particularly like 
unexpected um, happenstances. They're not the sort of thing that you'd say, well, that's a real disappointment. His his career promised so much, and then he he lost with a with a sort of fairly mid table um, La Liga side to these other. Um, I mean, Atletico Madrid obviously weren't quite so um, big as they were at that point in 2012, mm. I think it was. Um, but even still, you know, they weren't underdogs um, by any by any stretch. So, yeah, the the question that, that sort of is running through my mind at the moment is is how much of the the stuff that we think about when we think about Marcelo Bielsa is simply imposed upon us by by these sort of narratives that that we we like to spin about football. Um, I tend to think that and and you know there's another facet to this um if if I can go on without the, without risking waffling but the other facet the other facet is is that for I think for a lot of managers there is this notion of of pragmatism that emerges um and and Bielsa will talk about pragmatism as as well he'll say look as soon as money bec- as soon as ca- as soon as football becomes professionalized vis-a-vis capital as soon as people start putting capital into a club in order to improve teams then results become important Uh, everyone knows this everyone knows that there's a sort of level of pragmatism Um, that's the reason why uh, Jose Mourinho is is so well hired um, because he 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 got those results until recently Um, but Bielsa says look yes there is there's a there's a pragmatic aspect to football we have to get results but at the same time he will say, but, but you know, the most important thing about football is also the fans. If you don't have the fans, you don't need to have results. Like the only reason that we're having any of these, the football is booming at the moment is because so many people care about it and fans care about the quality of the football. So you can't just simply talk about idealism versus pragmatism for, for BLC. You have to talk about both together. Um, so he, he sees very clearly that, you know, football is as important as a spectacle as it is a, a sort of, I guess, business. Um, and so, Whenever you talk about something like this with with Bielsa, like how will people think about him in the future? Then you have to you have to remember that he he does care about the fans as much as he cares about the owners getting their way, and he's trying to balance those two off. So um, the question for me becomes: oh, yeah, you don't know, Will we get to the end of the season? Will Leeds miss out on promotion? But will it have been a good season? And and will that mean that Bielsa will be disappointed? I don't know. So all these different questions come. Uh, questions that sort of get thrown up by that one question um so hopefully that answers that question without having been too uh rambly i think leeds they occupy one of the top two places now and i think uh, many people are looking at norwich and expecting them to drop off but with leeds i think a lot of people especially um those who might not have the knowledge of bielsa or his career as yourself i think they're looking for leeds to stay put and pretty much keep the pace for the rest of the season. A lot of Villa fans especially seem quite, I wouldn't say nervous, but wary of Leeds more so than other teams that we faced. And I mean, we clash on um, Sunday the 23rd of December, just before Christmas. And a lot of people are looking at this match and thinking, hey, if Villa want to go up top two, they need to win mm. this. Um, so <clears throat> very much for Leeds, Are you? is it an expectation of Leeds fans to stay? put for the rest of the season in those top two positions is an expectation of Leeds and Bielsa to win the title if not come up as second place no that's an interesting question because I think you know what what Leeds's expectations are and what everyone else's expectations are may have quite a big gap between them and I think mm. because of the, the the recent history of Leeds United and and as I said before you know the the fact that even even now, our owners' finances and companies' uh, situations is is in the immediate news. It's a worry to Leeds fans because we are so used to 
off-field um, events impinging on on-field events. But in terms of what you're saying about us being in the top two and our staying power in that top two, I think I was, I was having a conversation with a friend this morning who's also a Leeds fan, and I, we were both remarking on the fact that um, when you look at that, the championship table as it is, you look at you look at the teams and you try and dis- d- determine like who's been the most consistent team in in the top uh, at the top of the table and it, and it kind of has to be Leeds and it's funny because I think as Leeds fans we we feel as though we've we've started off well and then we've maybe we've maybe dropped off a little bit and yet we're still getting these results um so even yesterday against uh, Bolton we we I mean, we played well enough. We played well enough to deserve the win, but it wasn't as if that that win was the sort of win where you think, well, you know, it was coming. It could well have got to nil uh, nil and 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 finish that way. And you know, look, Bolton Bolton struggling at the moment, at the bottom of the table, and and yet they they've managed to hold Leeds to a one nil uh, loss, and then they they nearly uh, held to a two two draw at, at Norwich the week before. So. That, there is that glorious sort of, um, I don't know, intertwining of the championship where where the the top and the bottom can still cause one another problems, um, but you would have to say on the on the balance of it that Leeds just seem to have at the moment they seem to be the the, the team who have that that staying power. There's so many clubs that we've seen this season. For example, Middlesbrough. You would have thought at one point, oh, they'll they'll easily make it into the top two and we'll stay there, and they've dropped away. Sheffield United similarly. Um, you know, and that's the that's that's the thing about it. At the moment, Leeds do look like the team to to beat in the top two, and so um, yeah, it all it all depends, I think, on how this Christmas period goes. Because, like I said, we've got we've got the bare bones of a defense of a defense at the minute. We had Calvin Phillips playing as a centre back in a back two, which is far from ideal. He's played as a centre back in between a two centre backs in a back three, which is fine. I have no problem with that. But when you start playing him as a as a centre back in the back two, because you've literally You've, it's, it's either him or Apo Halma, who's a, a Finnish player who's quite young and he has only just come back from injury. And yeah, you know, he doesn't have that sort of experience that you want him to have playing in, in the back two in a, in a club at the top of the league. So it will it will depend on whether or not we can, we can weather, I think, the, the Christmas period, if we can come out and then get a few of our uh, players back. So we've got Izzy Brown we've had on loan all season, despite the fact he's been injured. He's back soon. Um, Patrick Bamford scored yesterday. He's been injured for, for a long while. Um, we've got Luke Ayling, um, who's a very important defender for us, coming back soon. As I mentioned before, Katana Berardi will be back as well. So feels like we're getting a few players back and it, it almost feels as though January January will will be a successful transfer window even just for those players coming back so if we can get, if we can weather that storm I think we can go into the second half of the season with a with the pos- positivity that we we may well be there and thereabouts in the top two at the end of the season but I think if you ask Leeds fans how, how um, confident they are of that fact you'll you'll get uh, lots of negative answers we've got you at the weekend a lot of Leeds fans are expecting us to get pasted by you um we've got Forest soon after that we've got um Derby as well um in that run so a lot of big teams coming up um and with a with a thin squad it, it feels a little bit precarious at the moment let's talk about that for this festive period coming up because it's especially important as you said since it kicks off with Villa place and um, playing your Leeds on the uh, 23rd and that starts off that hectic run of games I think we encounter every season and every season it seems to take some casualties I think the expectation there then is that Leeds may be one of these casualties but I guess that that will depend on Villa having a really good game against you we weren't at our best against Stoke I wanted to ask you how much have you seen 
of the two sides of Villa this season? I mean, the first, as um, Steve Bruce, and you said the word, the phrase there or thereabouts, which was his kind of key <laughs> uh, motto that he relied on throughout his career. And we were never there or thereabouts. Um, you know, you can only be there in the yeah. championship. There's no, there's no thereabouts um, for us. It was promotional or nothing. Um, but we've been saved. I guess, and we've got Dean Smith now. Um, so I wanted to hear any thoughts you may have had about Villa, the two phases of yeah. Villa, especially. No, it, would be, it would be wrong of me to, to tout myself as a as an expert on Villa. I've watched, <laughs> I've watched a few games. I watched the the West Brom game I mentioned to you, which I, I found yeah. very exciting. I find obviously Dean, Dean Smith has been exciting for you guys, right? You've got you had that five 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 result, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, and you've had some you've had some good results. You had the result against Derby County, I think. Um, that, that was a good result. You've you beat mm-hmm. you won the you obviously won the um, the Derby with with Birmingham with yeah the first one yeah. Against. So I. I I think that you, you've obviously turned a corner. I, I was very negative about Bruce on the last few times I've been on your mm. podcast and he sort of strung along for quite a while. But I, 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 I do think that Dean Smith is, is obviously a positive move for you guys. There's a lot of Leeds fans who I speak to who want Dean Smith after we lose Bielsa, um, thinking that far ahead. So um, I think there's, there's, there's no danger. There's no, there's no doubt that you're in good hands. And I think, you know, with time, once, once Smith's um, tactics are sort of embedded in the club, then then you'll you'll be in no no problem whatsoever. So, uh, and for me, it's just the quality of players that you have in your squad. And one of the most amazing things that, of, about Bielsa is that he's taken our squad of of essentially misfits. We barely brought anyone in really mm-hmm. over the summer, and he's made he's made it work. Um, so I suspect that with with the squad that you guys have got, that, that Dean Smith will be able to do similarly, and and you will. I do expect you to be up in the top six by the end of the season. Fingers crossed, John. <laughs> Very kind of you, <laughs> especially coming from Leeds. Uh, Leeds, I mean, don't often get that. I think uh, any negative comment uh, against Leeds on Twitter is uh, met with some hostility, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I've been on the end of it. I've got you know the stats wrong, some facts wrong, and uh, you, they don't take a. Much, uh, much persuading to uh, correct you <laughs> at all. Now I'm looking forward to the game on um, on Sunday. It's it's now been moved from Saturday, so it's on Sunday the 23rd. Um, I wanted your thoughts on a key player for Leeds that Villa fans might have to watch out for because mm-hmm. we're not expert. You know, we're not the experts on Leeds. We bear, I barely watch Leeds yeah. this season. Um, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, who could cause us some worries. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what team is. Uh, fielded at the weekend or yeah on the weekend um we yesterday we played lewis baker who's um on loan from chelsea i think is that right i might have got that wrong i think he's right um and he had a he had a terrible game and was brought off at half time um replaced by jack clark who is one of our youngsters who's been really really impressive um within within the team itself i think if you were to ask most leeds fans who who you should watch out for the answer would be either Jack Clark or Pablo Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez is obviously central to anything creative we do pretty much. Um, and he's a very important player for us. But I would actually point out Adam Forshaw, who's playing as a, basically as our deep-line midfielder at the moment. He's For me, he's been an absolute joy to watch this season. He's one of those, he's one of those midfielders in a position where your job is to do everything right, and he does everything right. Um, he's defensively solid, um, He's he's more than defensively solid. He's 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 impressive defensively. He um his distribution is is immaculate. He um he allows our midfield to be 
thin, if that makes any sense. He allows our, our attacking players to go forward uh, and it will offer the, the sort of cover that you need for, for, for that. Um, so I think if Forshaw can have a good game, and I think that you will see that um, when, when when we play on Sunday, you will appreciate what it is that I'm saying because um, he's a very key player in this in in this sort of team because so much of the the team is built around this notion of transitioning quickly, and then the result of that being that you have to be um, you have to transition back quickly as well, and he really helps the team out to do that. He helps slow the ball play down and with counter attacks and stuff. So Adam Forshaw is the one to look out for. Well. Pablo Hernandez is the one to look out for in terms of danger. He's the one that you should be worried about. Adam Forshaw is the one worth looking out for if you want to see um, what it is about Leeds that makes them tick. Question around then. And uh, I appreciate you may not have the most insightful answer to this question. <laughs> um, what member of the Villa squad are you or other Leeds fans looking at and going, you know, he could cause us some trouble? Well, I'll tell you who that... And this is with the expectation that with Jack Grealish, yeah, like Jack exactly, Grealish yeah. may not make it. So yeah. I knew he was going to go well, for that that's, one. That, I had a number of friends send me the tweet that, that suggested that Grealish might not be playing at the weekend and that's gone down very well amongst Leeds fans. Um, <laughs> I'm, as a, as a Scotland fan, I'm a fan of McGinn, obviously. Um, I'm excited about him. I, I think there's, there's very few players who strike the ball quite so sweetly as he does. Um, but I say as well, El, El Ghazi, I was impressed with um, in the in the game against West Brom. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of worried about him, but I get the impression that maybe that West Brom game was like him playing out of his skin. So whether or not to expect that uh, on a regular basis, I don't know. You'd have to tell me that. Well, he's looked good. Um, it's just against Stoke, we lacked Grealish. So uh, mm. our wingers and McGinn were getting double marked, as, considering we had Glenn Whelan. No one's going to mark Glenn Whelan. <laughs> uh, so uh, we had an extra man on our players. So yeah, I think he was taken out of the game. Right. And I'm praying that Grealish is back for this one. Um, we, we need to kind of conjure something up to make that kind of threat appear that will take a man away from your team to mark up a are 10, mm. I guess. But no, uh, I don't think we're expecting Grealish, which is a shame because uh, I think he's a wonderful footballer and I know I'm biased. I know it's very much in my uh, in my camp to say that, but I think he's uh, really good, his quality. And uh, it's a shame he's probably not play- playing in the Premier League this season. Yeah. I think he could have done some damage uh, for Tottenham. I think he'd have gone maybe not straight away into their first team squad, but uh, he should, he'd, have, he'd have had a good shot of earning his chance. But yeah, I think you'll miss him. I think uh, you won't see him this, uh, this coming Sunday. Yeah. So that's a shame for us especially, but I think... Uh, you guys might be licking your lips at that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the general impression I've been given. Well, we're coming to the the kind of the end of the uh, the podcast. So, what I wanted to get from you, um, something that we'll kind of look out for. What is the weakness in this Leeds team on match day that Villa can look to exploit? I'm hoping Dean Smith's listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like I, I, I said before, you know this this team is is all about. Um, building play up from the back um in order to sort of pull pull oppositions uh, across um get the ball forward quickly and then do do this sort of overload to isolate so that you'll get all of the a lot of the attacking players will drift over to the side the ball's on and then you'll have a couple of players on the opposite side waiting for a switch um that they can that they can um exploit so the the biggest issues that we have is is losing possession in the build up phase at the moment because we haven't got as many of the of the the best ball players in our squad playing. Um, there's been a there's been a tendency for a few um, of, of of the players in, in the deeper part of the team to to give the ball away in in silly positions in positions where 
we are starting to transition into attacking structure. And so it means that we're very thin on the ground. So if you lose the ball there, a counterattack just ruins us. So I, I suspect that that's, the, that's what you should be looking to do, I think. Break up the build-up play at key moments uh, and then launch a quick counterattack from those those sorts of areas. Now, a lot of that was done through Lewis Baker. I suspect those, those breakdowns were being done through Lewis Baker. So I suspect he won't play it on Sunday. So it may be not quite so uh, an effective... Uh, as effective a um, approach as it as it has been in the past, but um, there is a tendency for this team to to go from looking like Barcelona, just sort of pinging the ball around, one touch passing, to making ridiculously. Um, uh, I mean, some of the some of the turnovers that we 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 give the ball away in in scenarios where you just kind of think that's just that's just madness. I can't believe that you've misplaced that pass or you've you've invited pressure and not got rid of the ball etc um I, I suspect that's the best way of, of getting to this Leeds team so sitting a little bit deep in a, in a in a mid block and then and sort of really attacking them when they're trying to do the build-up um phase um I think that will be the way to to get get around beating this lead side and then and then yeah try and look for the space in behind the wing back fullbacks who get quite quite advanced in those areas so yeah the final um point to make about this uh Villa Leeds match coming up on Sunday is that I'm going to need to take your prediction from you? Unfortunately, you're going to have to either say like your team's going to get beat, or you're going to have to come <sighs> on to here hostile territory and tell me I'm going to get beat. Or, we, or there's room for a draw, I guess. Yeah, I might be diplomatic and say we'll go for a draw, <laughs> but I, I can't see there being, <laughs> I can't see there not being some kind of result either way. Um, I'm feeling quite pessimistic at the moment, and I think we've had a quite nice run of games with, with teams. So I, I expect you guys to win, but. <sighs> Whether or not you're West Bromwich Albion, us, I don't know. Um, it, it could, it could be, it could be a, a fairly dour game that sort of ends with a with the with a one goal decider, or it could just be an absolute shooing four nil. So um, I'll say I'll say something like Villa to win somewhere between one and four nil. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you for coming on and uh, telling us that. I'm, I'm pretty sure the listeners will appreciate that. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on to wrap up now and uh, close the podcast off. Word on the street is you're constructing or in the uh, process of constructing a book on Marcelo Bielsa's time at Leeds United. Is that, correct? that is correct, yes. And uh, when uh, will this be, <laughs> you know, will it be coming out? I guess at the end of the season, is yeah. that uh, too optimistic? Well, so I'm I'm in the currently in the phase of of talking to agents about it. So the publication is a long way off. The re- research is is well underway though. So um, I've 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 got a proposal written now. I've sorted out all of the structure. I'm starting to do some of the writing, and um, I I gave a paper at an academic conference recently that that sort of had a couple of aspects of the book, sort of bits of the introduction, bits of one of the sections uh, as well. So I've, I've got all of those things sort of playing around in my head at the moment, which is probably why some of those answers are a bit rambly for you. But um, yeah, it, it, I, I aim to, it, essentially it's about Marcelo Bielsa's time at Leeds and what his time at, using his time at Leeds as a sort of springboard into the rest of his life. So there's been no, there's been no English um, treatments of Marcelo Bielsa, really. There's um, Jed Davis, a guy called Jed Davis, um, who's a coach uh, over in Canada, has written a book. Uh, well, it's called it's called Revolution: The Philosophy of Marcelo Bielsa, but it's not so much about Bielsa as Jed Davis's ideas about how football should be played tactically. Um, and he obviously uses Bielsa as a, as a source um, and tries to um, develop a, a football tactic 
in the same way that Bielsa would. So it's not really it's not really about Bielsa per se. So I'm trying to I'm trying to fill that gap and write something about about Bielsa, but particularly using his time at Leeds and um, trying to use that as a springboard and say why what what do we learn about him from um, what what he, the way that he's comported himself at Leeds. Um, but it starts off the book with a with an introduction that sort of that uses um, the example of Gator Lee's writing, who is a, a American journalist in the Yes, this must be 60s or 70s. Yeah, 66, I think he wrote his his piece, Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. So he was asked to um, write a piece on Sinatra, but Sinatra refused to speak to Esquire magazine, who he was working <laughs> for. Um, and I use this as, the, as, as part of the intro. The intro is, how do you write a book about someone how do you write about someone who doesn't want to be written about? Uh, because Bielsa is similar. Bielsa doesn't really want to be in the public eye in that kind of way. Uh, and that sort of sets the context for what, how do you write about someone like Marcelo Bielsa? And so um, what I'm doing is I'm taking th- themes. It's sort of more like an intellectual biography. I'm taking themes about about his life. So things like language. He's very, very careful about the language that he uses. And he's thought very carefully about how words are important for managers so there's a be a chapter on 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 language there's a chapter on his tactics and looking at the way that he tries to manipulate space with his players there's a chapter on the places that he's managed and what what that says about his uh, views on 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 the world um there'll be a uh, there'll be a chapter on the controversy there'll be a chapter on his legacy how do we talk about how Leeds fits into his legacy um there's a few others in there as well. Sorry, I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But what I'm trying to do is just sort of get there'll be sort of a series of essays about about Bielsa, trying to get to the heart of, of what he's of what he's doing um, and what he's about. So, yeah, if that sounds interesting, then then keep an eye out for it. Well, you know, I'm interested. I think I've been harping on <laughs> at you about this for uh, since uh, you kind of it was rumored that you were doing it, or I don't know whether the idea was even the there. book will be written. It may not be. It may not ever be published. Um, but you know, if it does get if it does get written, there will be it will be available in some way. So it will happen. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, any chance to learn more? Because it's yeah, it's just broadening your horizons as as it is when you bring people like yourself on this podcast to talk about teams we're facing. But yeah, John, thanks for coming on. Um, that's it for us today. Um, where can people find you then? Um, your work, your name, where 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 is it? Yeah, best place to get me is on Twitter. So I'm at John McKen- at John underscore McKenzie uh, on Twitter, and that's John J O N and McKenzie with an A M A C K. So yeah, that'll help you remember. Um, but thanks very much for having me on. I've I've really enjoyed it. I always do. No worries. Thanks for coming on, John. You can find him at the team of John O'Shea's podcast, and especially the Morins episodes or series, which is uh, rather amusing and and insightful as well. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, John, and we'll catch up soon. Um, after Leeds hopefully lose to Aston Villa so goodbye guys (laughs) see you soon all the best